We're going to get into 1 Peter chapter 1 now. And if anybody knows <laughs> the dangers of life, the realities of disappointment, the gnarliness of sin, and yet the everlasting, never-ending, always ready, grace, mercy, love, and power of God, it's Peter. Peter. In the New Testament, Jesus is mentioned the most times. He's the hero of the New Testament. The next most mentioned person in the New Testament is Peter. Hundreds of times. Peter's mentioned 210 times, Peter, 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 Peter. Not, not always in good light, by the way. <laughs> oh, Peter, 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 pumpkin eater. Come on, man. Ah, oh, Peter, 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 no. You know, he gets a lot of time. 210 mentions. Paul, Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, is mentioned 160 times. Paul, Paul. And Paul was a UFC champion for the gospel. That guy wouldn't be stopped. And he wouldn't be slowed down, stopped, distracted, derailed, depressed. That guy writes his testimony out in multiple books, talks about his bad days. Paul goes on record and says, man, I used to persecute the believers. I used to put my boot on their neck. I used to make them recant and denounce Christ. Paul knew. And yet when Jesus saved his life, he became a champion a champion of faith. John's also mentioned in the New Testament. You guys know John. John's mentioned 114 times. John wrote John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. John, 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 Johnny boy, John. John's mentioned. So you got Peter, Paul, and John. The three heroes of the faith in John, you guys know, goes down in biblical history as the apostle of love. He was a real tender guy, a real a mystic, just a real thinker. That's why he could receive the book of Revelation. He had to be real sensitive to receive the book of Revelation, you know? He's the apostle of love. Paul was the apostle of faith. Faith, faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are saved by faith through grace, not of works that anyone should boast. Paul is the apostle of faith. Peter. Peter speaks primarily about hope. Hope. Hope in a world of hopelessness. In a world of disappointment and darkness. Both personal and impersonal. Personal hopelessness where things just, man, you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, oh man, it's hopeless. This is hopeless. That's Pete. And as you would in Pete's shoes look beyond yourself at the world, the Roman world, he would say, oh, shoot, it's hopeless. And so he speaks about hope. Hope is a fuel source. And if you don't have hope, you're done. That's when you give up. You take your last breath. You say, okay, I'm done. There's no hope. I can't finish. I can't go on. I can't pick up another weight. I can't take another step. But if you have hope, you know what you can do? The next right thing. You can do the next right thing. But what if my hopelessness is personal? What if I fail? What if I'm a failure? 
What if I'm aware of my failures? What if they're all aware of my failures? Do you have have hope beyond yourself? Do you have hope beyond this world? And this is where the apostle of faith, hope, and love, these guys would speak to us of a better world, a, a, a reality that isn't just here, that isn't just concentric to our circles on earth, but is instead a living hope. And Peter would say that, and we'll see it today. Blessed be the God and Father of mercies who has begotten us again to a living hope. Imperishable, incorruptible. So good. Peter. I like learning from Peter. Good friend of mine, Larry Sorensen's here today. He used to drive the bus of God and just a real, real servant of God. And when I saw him, I thought it was Peter at first. I thought Peter had come back to life. <laughs> he had this big old Santa beard, you know. And that's how I look at Peter. Looks just like Larry Sorensen to me. And it got me pumped. It got me fired up to, to study Peter because I think Peter's just like Larry Sorensen. He's just a normal dude. Rough hands. Larry's a, a welder. He works right across the street. Just a, a rough industry. A normal guy. And you look at Peter, because maybe you look at Paul, and you're like, okay, Paul grew up in the school of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. He was on the Sanhedrin. And he was a Jew of Jews. He exceeded and excelled in all Judaism and all things. And of course, he's the apostle of faith. Man, that guy was next level. He even says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul is like, hey, just imitate me. It's not a big deal. And be like, oh, just imitate me. It's not a big deal. It's like, you're Paul. You're just kind of hard. I mean, I don't know, dude. But then Peter comes on the scene. And Peter's whole life is exposed. It's written down. I was thinking about the sins of some of the biblical heroes this, this week. I was just thinking about, can you imagine? Like, raise your hands if you have sin in your life. Anybody have sin in your life? Okay. Everyone left their hands down? Wow. Wow. You just sinned again. And most of us are dealing with our sin. We're processing, you know, and there's some accountability partners, maybe spouses that are aware, aware of, of it and can you imagine if your sins were documented in the Word of God as teachable moments? <laughs> like, not just like your accountability partner helps you, like, you know, put your life back together, or, you know, your pastoral team <laughs> walks you through it, but God's like, I'm going to write that down in the eternal Word of God. We're going to study your life, Dave, King David. We're going to study your life. You're going to write Psalm 51, Psalm 32, Psalm 20. You're going to write some Psalms in your darkest days after you've committed treason and murder and betrayal. In adultery. <laughs> You're like, ah, does it have to be written down so big, you know? <laughs> yeah. Why? Because you're a real person. And the gospel of hope is going to be for real people. It's going to be for real people. It's going to be for real needy people. And so God writes down, he says, hey, Dave, I see it. We saw it all. Nathaniel comes and restores David. And, and, and why does this happen? Because you're going to need restoration. You're going to need accountability. You're going to need hope. You're going to need forgiveness. And hey, guess what? Not only are you going to need those things, the people around you are going to need them. And you need to know what that looks like. And you're going to be like Peter probably at one point or another in your life where you're like, I'm just done. I'm so done. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's personal. It's impersonal. It's their fault. It's my fault. Man, it's just, what the heck? You guys remember that? Peter quit many times. 
As a matter of fact, Peter quit after Christ rose from the dead. Resurrection has happened. Easter Sunday, gone. Jesus has been with Peter. And he tells Peter there in Jerusalem, now go wait for me. And he goes to Galilee and he waits. I don't know how long he waits, but after waiting, Peter just is kind of depressed. He's like, I'm done. And he goes back, not sport fishing, but vocational fishing. Jesus didn't call him to be a fisherman. He called him and said, leave that and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter just looked at his record. He said, I think I disqualified myself. I don't think I'm going to do this. And you guys know, John 22, Jesus says, no, no, no. He becomes the Nathaniel for Peter, just like Nathaniel for David. And Jesus goes to Pete and he says, how's it going? He says, not good. My attempts, my life, my point, my purpose. And then check this out. And then Jesus asks him a couple simple questions. He says, do you love me? And Peter's like, well, yeah, you do? Okay, let's get back to at it. Feed my sheep. And he sees some hesitation in Peter's commitments. So Jesus asks him again, do you love me? He says, well, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And yet he senses more hesitation. So Jesus asks him a third time, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter gets frustrated at this point. He's like, dude, are you getting at something? You trying to drive a point home? And he asked him three times, do you love me three times? Maybe it was to offset the three times that Peter had denied him in that one night. Peter was done. Listen, Jesus was not done. <laughs> your call and your election is sure. Even when you are having a tough time. Even when you're done. Even when you don't deserve it. Think King David deserved to be king? He's, Nathan was a, a gift of mercy. You guys who know the story. Nathan was a gift of mercy to deliver David from his failure. God said, I don't want you to stay in your failure. Don't stay down. Yeah, but I'm such a bad man. I'm such a bad woman. I'm such a bad, bad, bad. God says, that's why I died. And now you who were sinful have been made clean because of my death. And you are now a witness, a testimony of what God can do in a man or a woman. This is the good news, friends. And maybe you need that today just to keep going. As we learn from Peter and listen to Peter and as we understand his heart, his broken heart that God had put back together. If you've been running from the Lord, running from your call, personal failure, impersonal hopelessness, whatever the case is, Jesus is looking at you right now going, do you love me? And you would not respond wrong. You'd say, yeah, Lord, of course I do. Then feed my sheep. Feed some sheep. Do something. Do something. But Lord, I've got so many blemishes, shortcomings and failures. Not as many as David. Nope. If you do, you should probably turn yourself in. David was guilty of murder and, you know, stuff and, you know. Failure. This is why Christ died. Bring your sins to the Lord. 
Peter also is not going to pull any punches. See, Peter writes his epistle a few years before Paul would be killed by Caesar Nero. Peter's in Rome. Paul would be beheaded in prison. Peter himself would be crucified upside down. Did you know that just a few years after this book was penned, that the, the seasons were already cooking? Caesar Nero was in charge, and things were getting weird. Just a few years after this book would be penned, all of Rome would be burned down to the ground. You who are historians, you remember the stories, you've, you've studied. And when Rome was burned to the ground, immediately the suspicion went towards Caesar Nero that he did it on purpose to make his empire even bigger, which is the truth. And yet Caesar Nero decided to use a scapegoat, and he said, it wasn't me who, who burned the city down. It was the Christians, the ones who speak of fire and flames and the ones who are so weird and have changed our whole culture. It's the Christians. And you guys know what happened right about that time. The greatest persecution, Christianity, at one time, millions and millions and millions of Christians would be persecuted. Caesar Nero would arrest Christians who claimed to be the light of the world. He would take poles, sharpen those poles, and he would put them in the lower backs of Christians, up through the spine, and he would impale them and dip them in wax and hang them in his gardens, hundreds of them lined up, alive. And he would light them on fire, Roman candles. And he would ride his horse and say, I'm the light of the world, mocking them. He would take believers who are the sheep of God's fold, and he'd say, really? And he would dress them in animal skins and put them into the praetorium and let the lions come out and fight with them for entertainment, for sport. This is how it was going in Peter's day. I mean, you guys think government overreach is happening and there's a threat and there's some conspiracies and can't trust anybody. Guess what? You're right. <laughs> but it was worse in Peter's day. And so listen, please. This is so crazy. If you're Christian right now, what a crazy, it's so fun. This is so fun. God has taken the attention away from lesser things. Listen, please. This is very important. If you're processing, if you're going through anger or disappointment because life's not the same as it used to be, I was praying with some pastors on Thursday, pastor from Lebanon, Calvary Chapel, Tom Sanderbrink, and he, he was giving testimony. There's about seven or eight other pastors. It was a Zoom call. And he said that their youth, their youth groups, their youth outreaches are exploding right now. He's got a youth team that has, is minded towards taking over the world. So they're, they're doing stuff. They're going into the school. They're, they're doing whatever they can, and it's working. And here's what he said. He just, he just nailed, hit it on the head. He said, their gods are all gone. Entertainment, sports, dances, school, freedom. He said all the students. Now you can look at it in one of two ways. All those things are gone. This is horrible. I hear you. Can you imagine being a senior in high school right now and be like, yeah, it's my senior year. I was going to play some... I'm not going to do anything. Like, talk about a raw deal. Man, that's horrible. But the Lord says, hey, I'm going to take some stuff away, guys. 2020. Give you guys a better vision. 
for my kingdom. You can't see. You guys, it's all clouded. There's too many things. And so God allows things to be eroded in a world that won't last forever. In a world that has false investments and false promises, false hope, false faith, false love. And the Lord says, okay, I'm not going to cause this chaos and pandemic. But when it happens, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make every believer that's willing, every pilgrim, every sojourner, every stranger, I'm going to make everyone who's willing to get closer to me, closer to me, more pure, more pure. I'm going to expose some stuff. Now, don't raise your hands, but have you ever lived your Christian life with many gods, just many, M-I-N-I, just small gods, lowercase g, just things that are so sweet, and you just, man, you get up early to do them or to love them or to grow them or to have them. You just, ooh, you know, you, and they're just, and the Lord's like, that's cool. I made you that way, but it can easily spin out of control. And so the Lord has allowed a number of those things to, to die. We're Americans. This is very offensive. As I've mentioned before, Kit Kat said I could have it my way along with Burger King. I, Amazon Prime, I can get it in 12 hours if I, if I buy now, you know, and this is very, very offensive because I'm an American. And so, so we're reading a 2,000-year-old book from Peter. He's like, hey, I, I, I just want to tell you the Lord's heart. <laughs> Peter. Guys, he, he uses the word suffering in, in his epistle 15 times. It's only five chapters. And listen, he uses eight words, eight Greek words to describe suffering. Peter is going to give us understanding and instruction how to suffer well. I told you guys this story one time. I was doing counseling with somebody, and, and I used that phrase that God wanted to encourage this person to suffer well. Man, they got so mad at me. It's the worst thing they'd ever heard in their life. Suffer well. I don't want to suffer well. I don't want to suffer at all. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. Sorry. Suffering, difficulty. It's the only thing that will actually produce deep growth in your journey. Peter's going to expose that. He's going to stress that. He's going to talk about that. I'm going to pray now and ask God to bless us as we read a few verses, maybe 12 verses. We'll see. Last week, you guys only got through one verse. I'm going to try and speed you guys up a little bit. (laughs) Lord, would you bless us today in Jesus' name, and would you, uh, even right now, just heal the heart that is so broken. May there be sweet worship flowing from broken hearts today. Maybe it's a broken heart, and your, your heart is just, it's broken over lesser gods. The lowercase g's have been stripped from your life. You're a high school student, and you're just, you don't, there's nothing anymore. Maybe it's a little more serious. Maybe you're grieving loss of a loved one and you're broken. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe you're like King David and you've, you've lost your purity. You're, just in, you're in a place where it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm all messed up. Lord, is there hope for me? Lord, would you use your word to give us hope? I ask for your anointing to preach 
I ask for your, your anointing for us to listen. We thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I have been hoping to lead you guys into a greater relationship with Peter before we study his epistles, Peter was enlisted by Jesus many times, tried to quit, and in John 22 was finally restored. And even on his restoration day, Peter was asking questions about other disciples and what about that church and what about those people? What are they going to do? So cool. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, what is it to you? I love Jesus. What is it to you? You follow me. Maybe just commit that to memory. What's it to you? Jesus Christ would say that to Peter. Because Peter looked at John. He said, what about John? What, you, what about John? And Jesus is so cutthroat, he even made up a story about John, a, a hypothetical story. He's like, what about John? What about it? What if John never dies? You okay with that? Read it, John 22. And Peter's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then Jesus extended the invitation. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. This will help you in all of your distractions and angers and, and frustrations and divisions. Those two D words, they're on my mind the, the last 10 days. Division, distraction, division, distraction, division, distraction. What's the enemy doing? What should you be doing? On the road. Follow me. As I've taught you guys, there is a truth. And on every truth, there's a ditch of excess and neglect. Okay? You slide off into the ditch. The truth is, follow Jesus Christ. Peter does that. Look at how he does it. Look at verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. He addresses himself as Peter, which is his new name in Christ. And not just Peter, he says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is uncontested. Paul would use a similar phraseology. Paul would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of the Father. He had to kind of like help his Jewish brother like, yeah, the Father's okay with it too, you know. Because Paul had kind of a rough go getting into the whole thing. Like people would question his apostolic. Remember Paul when he got saved? He showed up to some Jewish Christian Bible studies. He's like, I'm a believer now. They're like, run, Paul's here. And it wasn't, he had 10, 15 years before they'd even be nice to him. And even after that, they still weren't nice to him. Peter says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's uncontested. Y'all know my story. The word apostle simply means sent one. It means I'm on mission. And guess what? When you're on a mission, when you're a sent one, you know what to do. You've got your marching orders. When you're not on mission and you're not a sent one, you make up your own marching orders. You done this before? You guys ever made it by your own marching orders? Man, that's when you get a parole officer assigned to you. Never goes well. And so Peter goes on record. He gives us his name, changed by Christ. It was Simon, Barjona, and he's changed to Peter. But he says, I'm, gonna, I'm an apostle. Let me make sure you guys understand this. This will help you. I am employed at South Beach Church. I uh, know my, my title is Pastor Luke. If, if I need a title, when I do a wedding, it asks me what my title is. You know, are you reverend, pastor, you know? Officiant, all these things. I, I know my title. And this helps me because it's my identity that I've accepted from God. God told me when I was eight years old that I was going to be a pastor. I rejected his call and I ran for 12 years. I said, no, 
I don't want to do that. And yet here's, the, here's my point. If you know your identity, you're not wrestling with it, and you're not trying to hide it, and you're not trying to minimize it. If you know your identity, that will determine your activity. You'll know what you're doing. Peter's watching the world burn. Huh, look at that. It's getting worse and worse. Somebody should write a letter. Somebody should do something about that. Somebody should help. Somebody should pray. Somebody should lead. Somebody should serve. You ever thought those thoughts before? And I can't wait till Pastor Luke gets his act together and figures this out. <sighs> Opens up the church, you know, and gets everything going again. I just can't wait, you know. Have you ever thought those thoughts? Peter knew who he was. And I just want to put it on you guys as sons and daughters of the Most High. Activity is determined by identity. Behavior, additionally, is determined by belief. And maybe it's not on such a big scale. Maybe you're not going to be like a Peter writing letters. You're not going to be like a Pastor Luke on stage yelling at people. Okay, it's not what you're going to do. But if you have your identity and you have your belief, you'll have your behavior and have your activity nailed down. Don't raise your hand. Do you ever just wake up not knowing even what to do? Guess what? If you don't know what to do, you're going to do the wrong thing every single time. But if you wake up, my activity is determined because of my identity. My behavior is established because of my belief. I know what to do. And listen, young people and men, I also know what not to do. I stay the course. This is so important. As soon as the devil takes away your identity through your own failure or your own forgetfulness or your own depression, okay, you're a sitting duck. Whatever he wants to do, you'll do whatever. This is why it's important to establish your identity in Christ, not just in Christ, but even in ministry, becoming a life group leader or accountability partner or volunteer. I heard a story one time of a life group leader golfing with his pastor. And the life group leader, you know, shanked one over to the left and he used a curse word. And he immediately apologized. Ah, I shouldn't have said that. And the pastor giving him grace said, don't worry about it. You know, you don't need to... You don't need to worry about it in front of me. And he said, it has nothing to do with you. I'm a leader in the church. I apologize for my own sin because of who I am in God. It was, it was a teachable moment for the pastor. It wasn't about who he was with. It was about who he is. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And how, how did Peter, I mean, he was chosen and it's uncontested. I, just, I, f I feel, though, in the American church, the way it's set up, you guys, you guys struggle with the secular realm of life and then the sacred realm of life. This is a sacred time, isn't it? Most of you probably aren't going to cuss and swear. Some of you will. And you know, South Beach Church, 9 a.m. service. It's sacred. But then there's the secular. You see work. You know, it's, and there's no separation in God's economy. And the church is kind of set up in such a way where it's like, yeah, that's the A team. Those are the A apostles. I'm just a B apostle. There's the A apostles and there's the B apostles. And there's Pastor Luke and the other pastors, the, the, the life group leaders. And I'm just a little old Christian. I'm not really, that's not really important. What I do or don't do, is it? Reminds me of a Christmas tree that has a fuse that goes out or a light that goes out. Just one. It'll disrupt the whole thing, won't it? It's important that we know who we are. I would just share one more story of Peter. 
You see, Peter spent time with Jesus. And in the book of Acts chapter 4, 3, verse, the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter was looked at by the leaders of the church, the actual bigwigs. And they looked at Pete, and guess what? To them, he wasn't the apostle. He was a nobody. He was a farm boy, fisherman, hillbilly. Grew up in Tidewater, man. <sighs> Can anything good come from Tidewater, you know? <sighs> Who knows? <laughs> and there's Peter! And yet the guys in charge, it was Annas and Caiaphas and the high priest. Acts chapter 4, they're all mad at Pete. And Pete's talking. And when Pete, Acts 4.13, commit it to memory. Acts 4.12 and 4.13 should be memory verses for you. Write it down. Those guys concluded. They said, this guy, there's something wrong with this guy, this hillbilly. He's just weird. And yet they concluded, you know what's wrong with him? You know what happened to him? He's spent time with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made this man bold. Jesus Christ has made this man different. Jesus Christ has made this man powerful. Your time spent with Jesus Christ will do the same. Your lack of time spent with Jesus Christ will also be evidenced and able to be told by your spouse or coworkers. This is good news, by the way. I, I try and read my Bible every single morning. I try and read uh, Christian um, books on leadership and on parenting and discipleship. Even though I'm already doing those things, I try and, I try and invest in the spiritual Luke's Frechette. And I try and spend time with Jesus in his presence. This morning I got about 5.15, 5.30, and I went downstairs and I just, I just sat there and just, just, just sat with Jesus. Just sat with him. Lord, I need to be, I need to be filled with you today because I'm a normal dude. And apart from you, I can do nothing. But through you, I can do all things. Peter is he's just like Larry Sorensen. He's not that special. That's a joke. You guys can laugh. He's right there. I'm looking at him. But I've spent time with Larry Sorensen, and I've heard him pray, and I've received the word from him. And the same secret for Peter, for Larry, for you, for me, time spent with Jesus. Here's the great news. God can make somebody out of any nobody. If you're at home watching, if you're here, you're in Lincoln County, wouldn't it be awesome if the church became a bunch of nobodies that actually were somebody because of Jesus Christ? And we became different you are, by the way. I don't know. You're, you don't believe the hype. You are different. As a matter of fact, he goes on. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And he lists the areas that the letter would be circulated. Most likely, this would be a, a map where the postal route would go and the book would be handed and copied. And Pontius and Galatia and Bithynia and Cappadocia and Asia and And he writes to him, but he gives him this title. You guys are pilgrims, you're sojourners, and you're strangers. For a couple reasons. Number one, because you're not where you're supposed to be. A lot of these guys were actually dispersed. They weren't at home anymore. They were asked to leave. You guys think we have it bad? You can't go into certain businesses or go to school. Can you imagine being asked to, can you imagine being put on a train and just taken away? Can you imagine? And so Peter's like, I'm gonna write you guys a letter because you've been dispersed. Not only is it because they weren't where they were supposed to be. Listen, this is more important and more applicable to you and I who are here this morning. They were strangers because they weren't where they were supposed to be. Listen, but because they weren't where they were going to be. That's for all of us here. 
They were living wherever they were living, knowing that their true home was coming up soon. Belong here? <laughs> I don't belong here. This isn't my home. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a sojourner. When, have you ever felt strange on planet Earth? You ever felt strange? You ever felt like you don't belong here? Okay? Don't resist that feeling anymore. Embrace it. See, with the young people, there's such a temptation, and even old people, to fit in, to be accepted, to be liked. What if you just accepted, no, 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 no. I don't belong here. This is going to create two things, by the way. This is going to create warfare, difficulty, hardship. You don't belong here, strangeness. It's also going to create an opportunity for witness. You choose. Both are the same. Matter of fact, I was, I was drumming and I, I, did, I made an executive decision while I was drumming. And the decision is, is that next Sunday, but I'm actually going to include this Sunday, next Sunday is free hoodie day. Okay? So every hoodie we have, you can take one free hoodie next Sunday. But if you're not going to be able to be here next Sunday, you can grab one today. Okay, if you're coming next Sunday, then don't deplete the thing. Just grab. And here's why. I was, I was drumming because I was just thinking about you guys. Like, how can, you, how can I encourage these guys and gals to be more available to the Lord, more on fire. And I began to look out at the crowd and I saw a shirt that says, love, serve, grow. And I see one that says, Jesus saves. And I think Jerry has one on that says, Jesus uh, saves. And, and I saw all these, all these shirts. And I was like, Jesus is real, a hat right there. And I thought, you know what's cool? It's, it's, it's just a stupid hat. It's just a stupid sweatshirt. You know, it's not that big a deal. But when I put a Jesus is real shirt on, okay, I think about it more than once. I'm like, okay, that's my message for the day. Whew, that might create some warfare. You know, it's just a sweatshirt. Like, don't stop with the sweatshirt, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like putting a Christian magnet on your car and driving like you just came out of hell. Like, don't do that. <laughs> you know? Don't do that. <laughs> so next Sunday is free hoodie day. Because I want you guys to be able to be equipped. We, we do this at the beginning of the school year when kids would go back to school. Uh, send back Sunday, we would pray for our kids and give them all a free, free shirt. So that way they could show up with a something. Something that identify them. And I'm not here forever. I'm going places. I want to take as many people with me. You're a pilgrim. Don't try and fit in. I, I mentioned this area that these people were living in. Man, if they were to wear a Jesus' real shirt, they'd probably be killed. Last week I mentioned the topography and the, de the demographics of this area today, modern day Turkey. There's 180 million people that live in Turkey today, or 80, 83 million people, and 173,000 are Christians. That would be like 20 out of every 10,000. Can you imagine, I use this, I'll use the same thing I said last week, can you imagine if you lived in Newport and there was 10,000 non-believers and there were 20 believers, all with Jesus' real hoodies? And every day you put your Jesus' real hoodie on, you're like... This might be my last day. <laughs> this might be it right here. I'm about to go to Freddy's and just get whatever, you know. And you'd be looking for other Jesus' real hoodies. You wouldn't see any. Can you imagine that? How, how he writes him a letter. He's like, all right, guys. It's going to be tough. This is so exciting for me because I'm such a, and I wish I was so, I wish I was strong. I really wish I was. I wish I was in and out of season, ready to rock and roll all the time for Christ, but I'm not. I need to get my bell rung. I need to get shook. I need to get reminded. But when I'm shook and my bell's rung and I'm reminded, it's so fun. I told you guys this. I went to Disneyland in November before 2020. And the first day I was there, I wore a shirt that said run. It was a Nike shirt. You know, big deal. And 
And, and there were so many people there. And I just realized I'm not going to wear a Nike shirt again. I'm going to wear Jesus's real shirts in Disneyland because I saw about 20,000 people a day. And so I was like, I'm going to read, you know, me and Mickey Mouse, we're going to redeem this sucker, you know? <laughs> and it was so good. I just, on purpose, this is a stupid little thing. And I got a lot of blank stares. And then I got a lot of excited greetings. Oh, dude, I love your shirt from the brethren. One time I was at Cinnabon in San Diego or one of the California towns. I can't remember, they're all the same to me. And, and, and I had this keychain that said, I love Jesus. And I was at Cinnabon and the girl working there had the same keychain around her. She was wearing it around. I was like, what? I was like, that's so cool. I have the same shirt. I love Jesus too. She said, no, no, it's I love Jesus. That's my boyfriend. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I'll get that to go, you know. <laughs> Different Jesus. <laughs> it's hilarious. Be a witness. This is, I'm never going to stop reminding you guys to do this. Never going to stop reminding myself. You live in your neighborhood, you go to your town, you have your friends, you have your Facebook account. Are you, are you a witness for Christ or not? Every day. Ask me the same question. Okay, because I forget, I need to be reminded. Let's keep going because we're not going very far. They're pilgrims, they're going to have a tough time. It's not going to be a safe environment there. Eventually this is going to turn very bad for them. So what's he do to encourage them? Verse 2. He gives them another title. Not just are they pilgrims, but they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. Guys, you might need to go home and dissect this and get a commentary. I'm going to do my best to explain this. This verse right here is why haters and critics read Peter and say, there's no way a fisherman from Galilee wrote this stuff. It's too theologically powerful and accurate. It's too laser-like. Verse 2, he goes into two prime controversial doctrines and discussions, one of election and one of the Trinity. And Peter, this fisherman from Galilee, is like, let's talk about election. Woo, cannonball. And he jumps right in. Not only that, let's talk about the Trinity. He mentions the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus in one. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. I don't know if you guys know that. It's not in there. The idea behind the Trinity, the Trinitarian Godhead, that God exists in three persons, equal and yet our finite minds can't understand it. There's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And it's referenced throughout the scriptures. There are denominations, there are cults out there that say, no, there's no such thing as the Trinity. I'm like, it's pretty obvious. It's right here. And Peter nails it down for us. We're going to talk about that. But before he does that, he calls the pilgrims and sojourners and the ones who are wandering, the strangers, he calls them elect. By the foreknowledge of God. That word elect means chosen. That they're chosen by God according to his foreknowledge. Now let's go ahead and chase this down. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, although I have spent months and years studying, debating, refuting, arguing, and rejecting various depths of the doctrine of election. Let me help you to stay simple. I'll ask you a question. Does God know everything? Yes or no? Yes, okay, okay. So because God knows everything, can God learn anything? Okay, no, not a trick question. Okay, not a trick question. Okay, God knows everything. He can't learn anything. He is before time and after time. He created time for us. He's outside of it. He's omniscient, all-knowing. And so because God knows everything, can't learn anything, nothing surprises God. 
When somebody gets saved, God is not up in heaven going, no way. Them too? Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Man, this thing's crazy, you know. He's not up in heaven sitting on the edge of the throne wondering, okay, okay. Let the, oh, man, I thought we were going to get him with that altar call. Dang it, Luke, you blew it, you know. No, you're elect according to God's foreknowledge. That is, God knows before time began, listen, who at the end of time and in the span of time, God knows everybody ever who would ever get saved. He just knows. It's not a surprise. And so because God knows who's going to get saved, he knows the end from the beginning, God has elected that that plan of his salvation is good. You're elect through the foreknowledge of the Father. God saw all of creation from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. And he said, let's do it. Before the last breath will be taken on planet Earth, God knew it. Now, this is something you just need to accept because your finite mind won't, won't work very well. There are groups of people who take this theology and say, well, let's figure it out. Let's make an acronym and let's kind of decide how God does this. I've chosen in my simple mind to come up with a little conclusion. God elects and saves, yes. Okay? I'm not going to try and explain or figure out how he does it. Okay? If you do, your brain will explode, your face will melt, and you'll start a cult. That's what's going to happen. Just believe him. God saves. There are groups of people who come up with a term that is known as double election. If God elects that some get saved, well, then he must double elect that some don't get saved. It's double election. I, and I look for the word double election. I look for, and it's like, that's a human conclusion in your finite mind because you don't know the mind of God. And I've wrestled. I've been stabbed. I've stabbed other believers in an effort to figure it out. And I've just chosen to trust the Lord. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something super controversial. I wrote it down last night and I sounded like a heretic. I'm going to say it anyway because it's fun. Because it's my, it's my working theology, my open-handed working theology. I'm just, I'm, I'm letting the Lord work on it. I believe that God elects everyone to be saved. But not all people will be saved. You guys realize that, right? Not everyone's getting saved. You know why? Not everyone wants to be saved. That's just the, that's just the baseline now, to a Calvinist or something, that's super offensive. God does not elect everyone to be saved. Let me just explain it real quick. Let me read to you a few verses. 2 Peter 3, 9. I'll read it to you. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Rephrase that. God wills that everyone be saved. That's what, is, that's what he wants. Does God know that everyone won't be saved? Yeah. Let me read another verse. John three sixteen. You heard of this one? It says, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever should believe in him wouldn't perish but would come or receive eternal life. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Who's the whosoever? It's, oh, by the way, that's Jesus talking. Whosoever. Let me read another verse to you. 1 John 2, 2. It says, and he, that's Christ, is the propitiation, that's satisfaction, for our sins. But not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. 
Now, do you think when it says whole world, it means whole world? Anybody out there think it means something different? There are people that do. It can't mean the whole world. It only means the whole elect world. It doesn't mean whosoever. It means whosoever is elect. That's what it means. And it's like, hey, you know what? And let me make sure you guys understand why I'm saying this. I believe God elects all to be saved. Not all will be saved because the depravity of man's heart, okay, will reject mankind. There are those who are depraved who will not soften. Romans chapter 1 and 2 says, those who see God and don't know God and they suppress the truth will bring upon them the condemnation of God. Did you know every single day you breathe is a gift from God? God gave it to you in hopes that you would respond to his loving kindness. You know, every sunrise, every sunset speaks of his glory and his magnificence. And there is no language where their voice is not heard. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. Psalm 19. Nobody can be without excuse. Everybody's had an opportunity to do what? To be saved. Paul used this logic when he was preaching to the barbarians and to the Scythians when he was in Derby and Lystra. The people had no idea of the Jewish culture. He said, guys, have you noticed that everything is so crazy and balanced and the seasons and there's fruitfulness and there's rain and there's provision and there's protection? All that's from God. You ever hugged somebody before that's a real good hugger? You ever just like, whoa, it's COVID, man, knock it off. You know? <laughs> have you ever hugged somebody that did not hug you back? Dude, that's weird. You're like, and you're like, whoa, my bad. It's like a cardboard cutout. You're like, whoops. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know the difference. When you receive a hug, if, I, if you get hugged, like, and you're receiving it, what you do, you hug back. It's mutual. It's like, whoa, okay, it works. We, we're, we fit. Well, look at that. It's got to be both. I use the illustration that God is hugging everybody. For God so loved the world that he hugged them through his son. The stars, the moon, the, the, the sun, provision, grace, mercy. It's all being poured out on planet Earth. You have to make stuff up about planet Earth and about the story of the Bible and about the church and Christians and the Holy Spirit. You have to just ah, nope. And you have to resist the hug. It goes stiff. You know, God's trying to hug you. Nope, nope, nope. Anyways. Some would say, well, if God knows everyone who's going to be saved and only some will be saved and you have to be elect to be saved, well, that's not very fair. And to which I respond, well, just get saved. Just become elect. Just re respond. Re receive his invitation. Not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. And guys, I... Somebody out there is going to email me. It's okay. I'll send it to Pastor Marty. I think I asked you guys to email all those emails to PastorMarty at gmail.com. And then we went ahead and looked up that email address, and there is a Pastor Marty, like, on the East Coast. So just keep him going to him. He's loving it. He's loving it. Let me, let me make it more personal real quick. You're a sojourner, you're a pilgrim, you're a wanderer, but you're also elect. Your identity determines your activity. 
Has God chosen you? Are you saved? <laughs> Dude, there is no room for depression in your life. I walk depressed. I forget. There's no room for powerlessness in your life. And yet I, I set down my power source. There's no room for confusion or despondency or weirdness or sin or evil in your life. You're elect. And how am I going to stay fired up, centered, on target? Remember your election. It'll change everything for you. I'm going to heaven. That's the next shirt, Bo. Write that down. I'm going to heaven. I just want to share this. I'm going to heaven, okay? Going to heaven. Guys, let's just break this down quickly in verse 2. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So it's God's foreknowledge that makes you elect. In sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. Stop right there, eyes up here. God the Father saves you before time began, and yet it's done by the Holy Spirit in sanctification. That word sanctification simply means set apart. The Holy Spirit sets you apart. You guys ever wonder if you're sanctified by your own activities, by your own abilities? You can't sanctify yourself but the Holy Spirit can sanctify you. As a matter of fact, put up uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, would you, Dave? 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Hopefully it's 2 Thessalonians 3.13. I'll read it to you. There it is. It says, but we are bound to give thanks to God. This is Paul talking. Always To give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Listen, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You've been chosen. You've been sanctified. How? By believing. Sanctification of the Holy Spirit. He says it's for obedience. We could talk about that a little bit. I want you guys to understand if you're a Christian and you are needing to obey, that's all of us, it's by the Holy Spirit's power. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You need a greater source than yourself. If you're struggling with sin, depression, waywardness, weirdness, all that stuff, okay? It's probably because you're tapping into your own source, your own strength, and it's just not enough. Go to the Holy Spirit. Peter did not walk on water because he had taken water walking classes. Okay? He wasn't wearing, you know, air walks or water walks. Like, look at me, I got my water walking shoes on, you know? It's impossible, you can't walk on water. Unless the Holy Spirit allows you to be obedient. Remember how Peter got in the water? Hey, Jesus, if it's you... Make it your will that I come to you. Come on out. All of a sudden, disobedience would have been staying in the boat. Obedience would have been walking on water. Okay, I'm going to do it. What are you struggling with right now in your obedience? I guarantee you, if you're failing, it's because you're relying upon your own power, not the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying you haven't been praying about it. I'm not saying you're not wrecked over it. I'm not saying you're not struggling with the Lord, but it's the difference power source he goes on because this is so important for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of jesus christ you've been elect by the father through the holy spirit listen and paid for by the blood of jesus christ the sprinkling of the blood of animals was something the jews would understand every year three times a year three separate uh, feasts they would take the blood of an animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and even sprinkle it on the people and it was a atonement a sin offering of a dead animal and what it would do for them then is it would push their sins forward to the next year until they would do it again. Eventually, Christ came, and it was the sprinkling of his blood that once and for all gives us forgiveness of sins. He ends verse 2 by saying, Grace to you and peace be multiplied. 
I just want you guys to understand this. It's very simple, but if you don't have peace, it's because you don't understand grace. Grace comes first. Who, don't raise your hand. Who wants peace? Who wants a peaceful heart? Okay? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. One more verse and we're done because we're not going to get to verse 12, apparently. Man. Verse 3, he expounds upon his joy. He focuses now to God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Stop right there, eyes up here. Peter begins by saying, blessed be our God. Do you know this? Your God is so good. Jesus would use this term, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed, talking about us. This word blessed is applied differently. He's saying, blessed be God. Not that God is blessed, but what he's saying is this God is amazing. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Blessed be God. He's taking this spin. Now, you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. You're a stranger. You're elect because of all these things. Blessed be God, verse 3, the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who, listen, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Stop right there. Eyes up here. What's your hope in right now? Let me just say it differently. Your earthly hopes will slowly fade away and disappoint you eventually. Your earthly hopes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do you know that your hope in Christ is secure? Because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. And let me say it again. Make sure you understand this. Your earthly hopes will slowly fade and fail and dissipate and disappear. They just will because they're not alive. How many hopes have you had to let go of in your life so far? Hope's a powerful tool. Man, I hope this and I hope that. And you can have these hopes and all of a sudden you're hoping, you're hoping. And pretty soon it's just reality hits. Remember the... Portland Trailblazers 1992 team. And they made it to the NBA Finals against the Chicago Bulls. And that was a good year to be a Blazer fan. Just hoping, hoping. In game six, they lost. Jerome Kersey and Cliff Robinson, Clyde Drexler, Danny Ainge. I'd just turned 12 years old. And I was, Rip City, man. Rip City was wild. And I was homeschooled at the time. And, and I lived there at 650 Southeast 3rd on Fogarty Hill, and, and I had this little basketball hoop. And I remember I'd, I was, would go outside and I would practice my layups and my dunks. I had to dunk off of like a table, but I was you know, dunking. <laughs> and I'd practice my long shots. And I, I tell you what, as a 12-year-old kid, I had a hope. I actually hoped, I believed for a second, for a little while, that I could be a Portland Trailblazer. <laughs> Until about two years ago, I realized it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I remember, like, I was, I'd, I'd tell a few people, like, I think I can make the Blazers. And they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> a living hope that will not rust, not fade, not diminish. 
Last story, guys. Listen, please. In Luke 24, it's the day, it's the first Easter, and everyone in Jerusalem was hopeless. Their hopes had been crucified. It was over. And Jesus, on purpose, saddled up next to one person, two people, three people. He just kept doing conversations. And he met these two guys on the road to Emmaus that were completely hopeless, devastated, and depressed, disappointed. And he walked with them. And he talked with them. And eventually he was able to convince them, guys, the tomb's empty. Resurrection. It is a living hope that will not fade. I'm trying to say this nicely, but your earthly hopes will die. They will fade. We are pilgrims, sojourners. It's going to get nasty. It just is. It's a war down here. Your hope is in heaven. And those guys on the road to Emmaus, as soon as they found out Jesus is real, Jesus changes everything, Jesus is alive, I'm going to heaven. They turned and burned. And they walked seven miles back to Jerusalem and began to participate in the church. What a time to shine as Christians right now. How's your 401k? Mm. How's your health? Mm. How's, your, how's your beard and your gray hair? Mm. Mm. What? It's all fading. It's all fading. But our hope is in something beyond that. And wouldn't it be awesome if you had a good word for somebody that wasn't just about the virus or the vaccine or about getting rich or about having some inheritance here? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awesome if you had a good word about none of that stuff but about eternal things? Real things. And you who are seasoned Christians who have gone through heartbreak, who have suffered, who know the pain like Peter, who would die two years after this letter, may the Lord use our witness to the glory of God. Father, would you help us now in Jesus' name to both believe this and to behave like we believe this. I pray to anoint our church, Lord, the church, your church. I pray for every pastor, every leadership team, Lord, every worshiper, every Sunday school teacher, every mom and dad, every Christian, every young boy and every young girl, Lord, in Jesus' name that knows that they are elect, that they would have, Lord, a word for the weary, that in this time of Christmas, Lord, we wouldn't be so distracted by the things that have fallen to the side, but instead the things that are sure, the things that are foreknowledge by God, sanctified by the Spirit, saved by Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for being so distracted and so divisive and so small. Would you help us, Lord, we pray, in our little community, even in our little towns, our little houses. Just forgive us, Lord. Make us a simple-minded church that knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We love you so much, Lord. Lead us and guide us this week. Bless us, Lord. Inspire us, Lord, to lead others to you. And may we, Lord, trust your Holy Spirit to do all these things by your power, your strength, for your glory and for others' good. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen and amen.